Epiphany Fellowships podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. In every circumstance. He's more than enough. He's always enough. Everything you need can be found in him. He said, I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the fountain of living water. Everything that you need can be found in him. Amen. Amen and amen. Amen. Y'all, re- y'all excited for the word this morning? Amen. Amen. Let's, let's, let's go ahead and dig in. Why don't you meet me in Isaiah chapter 5 while I have you standing. Isaiah chapter 5 in the fifth chapter. You know, Isaiah, one of the major prophets. Psalm, Proverbs, Song of Solomon. Then Isaiah, amen, just in case somebody didn't know where it was, just trying to be supportive of my, of my people, amen, somebody, amen. I don't know if y'all remember having to do that when you was younger. We had to do Bible drills, you know, you had your Bible closed, hand on top, hand on bottom, and they shout on the scripture, you had to find that thing. I used to be killing Amen. Isaiah chapter 5. If you're there, say amen. Amen. If you need some time, it's on the screen. Hallelujah. Uh, I'm going to read the first verse, uh, and then you guys are going to read evens. I'm going to read odds. We're going to read the last verse together. Amen. Amen. Here we go. Here's the word of the Lord. It says, I will sing about the one I love, a song about my loved one's vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. So now, residents of Jerusalem and men of Judah, please judge between me and my vineyard. Now I will tell you what I'm about to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will tear down its walls and it will be trampled. Altogether, for the vineyard of the Lord of armies is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, and plant he delighted in. He expected justice, but saw injustice. He expected righteousness, but heard cries of despair. I just want to tag our text for this afternoon, making good on God's investment. 
making good on God's investment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the access that we have to you through your son. We thank you for your word because in your word is life and life abundantly. And so we pray, oh God, today as we receive this word that we would be not merely hearers but doers also. That we would produce the fruit in keeping with repentance. And so God, we pray that, that, that you would speak to us, convict us, challenge us, comfort us. Whatever it is that your word needs to accomplish as it goes forth, we pray that it would be done. And so God, we pray uh, all of these things in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you agree with that, say amen. 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 Go ahead and be seated making good on God's investment. You know, y'all, y'all know a little bit about me. Y'all, y'all know I have a, a deep affinity for um, uh, music, uh, namely 90s R&B, right? Y'all, y'all, y'all know how I get down. Um, and, and so, I, you know, I, I can be transparent today uh, and, and, and admit um, that, that I, you know, I, I do like a little bit uh, of the, the trap feel. You know, like, I see some nods. Nobody wanted to give me a verbal amen. Y'all can, you know what, I ain't, go ahead, go ahead. Hey, y'all can act, y'all can act funny if y'all want to. I know what y'all be listening to. Um, but you know, you know, one, one of the things about, and I'm not going to dog today's music, because you know how we do. We think that the genre of music we listened to when we were growing up in our formative years, like high school, college, that that's the best time period of, of music. So for me, that was the 90s, you know, or, you know hip-hop and, and R&B, amen, somebody. And if you don't agree with that, that's because you don't know music, right? But, but I'm not going to down anybody's musical preference. But one of the things that today's, uh, uh, you know, R&B, you, they, they don't really got R&B no more today. But, but if you could call it that, the one thing that's missing today is a good breakup song. <laughs> I love me a good breakup song. And the fellas, listen, the fellas, they're going to try to act tough in here like they never had their heart broken and they didn't never have a playlist of some breakup songs that they used to listen to. I, they, they confront all they want to, right? But, but you know, they, they, you know and, and I can admit you know, in my earlier, you know, pre-redeemed days that I used to tend to lean towards the more vindictive breakup songs. Like, you know, like, I, I didn't need you anyway, right? I didn't love you in the first place, you know, them, them, them types of songs. Uh, but but uh, it, it, what, what, what used to happen was, that, you know, those, those breakup songs, they, they, the way they started off, right, as soon as the music hit, it felt like a love ballad. But eventually, as you listen to the lyrics, you, you really understood that what you thought was a love ballad was really an accusation. And, 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 and there's a particular song I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of in the 90s, not the only one, but there was an artist named Dave Hollister back, back in, in, in the 90s. Yeah, some, some of y'all just exposed yourself because Dave was a little ratchet back in the day, but that's all right. Uh, but, but there was, a, there was a, a, a guy named Dave Hollister, and he had this song called You uh, or Can't Stay. Right, some of y'all might remember that song, but some, some of the lyrics sounded like this. He said, when we first met, things were fine. We went out to dine. We strolled the beach holding hands, sharing quality time. And then he said, but what happened between then and now? Because the love we had got lost somehow, right? Somebody said, oh, like, you don't even know what happened yet. You don't even know what happened. That's, that's why when he gets to the chorus, he says, but, but girl, I got to go. I can't stay, because you said things would change, but they're still the same. See, you, you said, Al, you thought he was the problem. See, uh-huh, uh-huh. But, 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 you know, some of these songs, some of these breakup songs, they often portrayed 
uh, and an unfaithful lover. And so they would say, because of your untrustworthiness, because you've done something to violate the trust in the relationship that we've been building, that we've been investing in, I no longer trust you, so I'm done. Right? And, and the, the wonderful thing that I love about God, especially the God of the Bible, I don't know what God some people be talking about, but, but the God of the Bible is that, that despite our unfaithfulness towards him, he doesn't just leave us where we're at. Like he doesn't just wipe his hands clean and just give up on us. I, I'm glad that, that the God of the Bible has some patience, has some staying power. And, and even when we as the offending party uh, 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 co uh, commit acts of treason or unfaithfulness towards him, he's usually the one who pursues. And so that, that's, that's, that's good news. And so, so we see something very different in this text here in Isaiah than we normally see in some of the framework that we have from how, opera, from, from how uh, uh, relationships typically operate when unfaithfulness has been present. And, and, and so, so here in, in, in verse 1, Isaiah begins to paint this picture uh, as he sings about his loved one's vineyard. And, and he doesn't reveal who the audience is, or, 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 or he doesn't reveal rather to the audience who his loved one is or what the vineyard represents. And so he starts talking about this, this one that he loves and the vineyard he created, but he doesn't give any inclination about who it is exactly that he's talking about. And so his listeners are unaware that there's any deeper meaning other than he has a friend that he loves or somebody that he loves has a vineyard. But what he does is he begins to describe what this person does to the vineyard and the relationship that exists between them. And so what does he say in verse one? He says, he says that the one that I love had a vineyard and the vineyard was found on a very fertile hill. That means uh, that the soil was rich in nutrients. It, it means that, that, that where this vineyard was planted was the most ideal place to maximize growth. Right now it says it says that the hill that, that the vineyard was on a very fertile hill, which means that there was some pre-work that the vineyard owner had to do in order to ensure that where he was going to end up planting his desired location was in a place that would maximize growth. And so he finds a hill that's rich in soil and in nutrients because, you know, I don't know if you know, but you can plant something anywhere. Right? You, you can plant something in anywhere, and it doesn't mean it's going to grow. But the type of soil that you're planted in does impact how it grows. And so, so he scouts out some land, and he finds this, this hill, and it has fertile soil. But guess what it also has because it's on the hill? It has direct access to sunlight. And, and, and it has, has direct access to the rainfall because we know crops, things that need to be grown, plants, they need rich soil. They need good oxygen in the soil. They need rain and they need sunshine. And so there's some work that the vineyard owner did to make sure that the place he wanted his vineyard to be was ideal for it to, ma for, for it to maximize its potential. Y'all with me? And, and, and so, so not, not only does he say his vineyard owner, the vineyard owner does that. But it says he also breaks up the soil, right? Now, now what, what, what does it mean to break up the soil? It means 
that, that in, when you break up soil, right, because it's not, it's not good for soil to be compacted. Well, meaning, meaning like that it's so like, like pressed down that there's no room in the soil to maneuver, right? And so good soil, it get, needs to be broken up. And, and the, the effect being that it creates room for more oxygen to be available to the roots. Uh, uh, so, and, and the water drainage is improved. So that way when it rains, there's, more, there's, there's room in the soil for water and oxygen to move around. And what that does is it promotes healthy roots. And when you have healthy roots, guess what? You're more stable because you can go deeper and you can go wider. And so, so, so the things that would affect you on the outside of the soil don't have as much opportunity to pull you out to uproot you because your soil is good and your roots are healthy. It's, it's similar to, uh, like, I, I don't know if y'all know the, the process of aeration for a lawn, right? But, but, but you know, I, I moved over to, to, to New Jersey right before the pandemic, and, um, and I, I, I could tell uh, once I moved that I became the grumpy old man uh, that said, stay off my grass, right? Because prior, you know, we, li we lived here in Philly. I was right around the corner in North Philly, you know, a concrete jungle. So, so you, you ain't really got to deal with no grass. You don't need no lawnmower, you know, maybe a weed whacker, but you couldn't plant nothing. Right. You know what I'm saying? I had rocks. I, had, I found a toilet seat in my in my in my ground one once. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So you can't plant nothing in Philly. But when I got across the bridge and I drove through my development, I see everybody's lawn on manicured. I started to get lawn envy. Right. And so so once we moved in, I started to pay ten, careful attention because, well, I didn't want to be the only black man on the block with a bad lawn. You know what I'm saying? Like like. You can't take bad habits to, to a new season with you. Sometimes you got to, you got to upgrade, right? So, so, so I wanted to spend some time on my lawn, but I noticed that there were areas or patches of my lawn that, that, that were not healthy, that were not good, and it was because the soil was compounded. And so what they do is they bring this machine out, and it's got these deep spokes on it, and they roll it across the lawn, and what it does is it pierces the ground really deep because what it's doing is it's giving the soil an opportunity to break up and breathe. So that way you can put seeds down, and once the seeds are in there, the water gets in there, the oxygen gets in there, and now, you know, your, your boy got plush, green grass, you know what I'm saying? My, my, I, I got a firm foundation ministry, just, just work, work, working it out. So I'd be looking around and, you know, I, you know, sometimes I got a bad habit of talking about other people's lawns too loud while I'm passing by because I'm, I'm comparing it to my lawn and my wife got to hit me like, don't say that so loud. But I got a nice lawn now, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but but that's, that's the point. It's, he broke up the soil because he knows in order to grow, you got to be in good soil. You got to be planted in the right places that provides opportunities for growth, right? And, and, and so he, he doesn't stop there. It also says that he clears the stones out of the way. That means, that means that he removed any impediments to growth that were present in the soil. That, that means that, that there were things in the soil that no matter how rich the soil was, no matter how much access the, the plants had to the sunlight and to the rain, if there's a big rock sitting on the ground and, and on, on top of the plants, it can't grow. And, and, and so, so what, what that means is there are some things in your life that need to be moved out that are blocking your growth. There are some relationships that you have right now that's impeding your growth and maturity in Christ. And, and so we, we need to be on guard and aware of what's in, our, what's, what's in our vineyard, in our soil, that's making it difficult for us to be rooted in such a way that we can grow the way we're supposed to in a, in a, in a healthy way. But, but he, he takes those stones, he clears them out of the ground. And, and, and what he does is 
once he takes them, he actually redeems the stones. And so the stones that were once impediments for growth, he takes those stones and resources them. And now he uses them to build a fence, a hedge of protection around the vineyard that helps to keep animals out. So the things that once used to be a disruptor for growth are now things that God has redeemed to be able to use to help you grow, to help protect you, to help keep a covering around you. And so he uses that to build a wall so that way animals that would come in and disrupt the roots or eat the crops would not be able to get in. And if he had time and he had resources and had some interest, he would take the remaining stones and he might build a watchtower with it. And, and with the watchtower, the vineyard owner was then able to uh, live on the property. He was able to be hands-on and watch. He was able to till the ground regularly. He was able to make sure that no uh, uh, animals could come in and he could fend them off by himself. And so they, he took a personal approach to making sure that he protected it with his own investment, with his own hands, with his own uh, body. And, and so if, if that wasn't enough, the Bible says not, not only does he find a, a rich hill full of nutrient soil, uh, a nutrient rich soil, not, not only does he till the soil and break up the ground, not, not, not only uh, does he remove the stones, but he also gets the best plants, the best vines. He doesn't just plant any old thing. You know, it's, it's the difference of like just buying a little seed pack from like Dollar General and like going to like an actual plant store. Now, I don't know the difference between it, but you know, I figure most more expensive mean better. Uh, but, but, uh, but he takes the best and the finest plants. And you know, the, the truth is though, so, some of us don't know what God's best for us is. You know how I know that? Because too many of y'all were standing in line fighting over some raggedy chicken at Popeye's instead of just taking your behind to Chick-fil-A where you should have been in the first place. Say what you want. That's pastoral wisdom right there. That's in, that's in the book. But, but once, once the vines were planted, there would usually be an interval of about two years before grapes were produced, which meant that the vineyard owner had to make sure as much as he was dependent on doing good work, using good resources, uh, planting in rich soil and using good vines, he also had to be patient to give the vines time, appropriate time to grow. That means he had to actually take his hands off the work. Because sometimes you can mess with stuff so much that you mess it up. Let, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. I, I, love, I love a good burger. I love a good burger. I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing like a well-made burger, you know. Um, usually, when people mess up burgers, it's not because they over-season, right? One, it's probably because you're using frozen patties instead of real ground beef, but I'm not going to go there. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Um, but, it, but, but the reason people usually mess up their burgers and they dry out too much, it's not because of overcooking. You know what it is? They flip it too often. And you know, you, know why that, you know why that is? Because every time you flip the burger, it loses more and more juice. And so you end up messing with a burger so much that the thing you're trying to have it be as an end result ends up losing it because you won't keep your hands off of it. 
And, and so here, here, like when, when it comes to what the vineyard owner has to do, he, he's, like, he's like, yes, there's work that needs to be done. But at a certain point, I have to take my hands off and I have to trust the process to let the growth that's supposed to happen, happen. Right. And then verse two, it says he, he planted the verse, the, 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 the uh, finest vines. Um, but, but then it says that he even dug out a wine press. Right. The, the, the emphatic position of the, the term wine press in the Hebrew uh, may emphasize the difficulty of the work involved with this idea of digging out the wine press, because usually they would have to carve it into the side of, of rock. Uh, and, and so so this this vine, this vineyard keeper is doing all of this work and yet still makes the decision to install a wine press. Right. Backbreaking work. Like that's how invested he is into making sure that that what has been produced, i.e. the fruit, that when it's when that fruit is born, that he can get out of the fruit, the thing that's supposed to that he's supposed to get out of it. Right. That what's been placed in it, the juice he can get out of it. And so he creates a mechanism uh, that, that he can use to, to put the grapes, the fruit that's been born on the ground, press out the juice and then be able to use it. And, and, and so the implication for us is that there is something in us. There are things that have been deposited in us as Christians, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ that eventually need to come out of us. There, there are things that God is placing in you that need to come out. What, what do I mean by that? Eventually, when you're in that argument with your spouse, peace needs to come out. Uh, uh, eventually, when you're disciplining your kids, grace needs to come out. Uh, uh, when you got conflict with a friend, guess what? A benefit of the doubt and thinking the best of others needs to come out. And so there, there are things in you, believer, that need to eventually come out. Otherwise, you become spiritually constipated. And so, and so, so at, the, at the end of this verse, in verse, uh, in verse uh, 2, we see the song begins to turn into a complaint. That after a long time of, of hopeful waiting uh, uh, for the vines to mature, uh, the vineyard comes back and finds only sour, rotten fruit. And, and what Isaiah here is emphasizing is that the, 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 the fire is emphasizing the, fire, the farmer's prior commitment, that he's done all of this backbreaking work in the expectation of receiving a crop of good grapes and yet the grapes were worthless and so all the hoping that he's done after the work has been completed has been in vain and so the the interesting that thing that I want us to know or notice is the issue is not that of non-growth or non-fruit but that fruit is unusable and worthless and so the issue the issue isn't that there's no fruit being born because he clearly he says that he comes back and fruit is there. The issue is that the, the type of fruit that's there isn't the type of fruit he's looking for. Right. It, 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 it means it's, it's just like what Paul communicates in, in Galatians chapter uh, chapter five when he says now the works of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality and moral impurity and promiscuity and idolatry and sorcery hatreds and strife jealousy outbursts of anger selfish ambition dissensions factions envy drunkenness carousing and then he says things like these or in or anything similar and so the fruit that was being born is guess what when it says works of the flesh he's talking about a certain type of fruit 
that's being born. So, and so he says, what was the type of fruit that God is looking for, the vineyard owner is looking for? Well, well Paul, Paul goes on in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithful, self-control. And, and so the issue for us as believers is that when our fruit gets inspected, what type of fruit do you have? And here, here's, here's the other thing. Is, is oftentimes we reject the one inspecting if it's not God. Yeah, y'all quiet on that. So I'll, I'll make it plain. It means that as a believer, other believers are allowed to inspect your fruit. So you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't tell somebody that that has questions about your fruitfulness, especially when it says that bad fruit is obvious, the works of the flesh is obvious. When your bad fruit is obvious and somebody comes to inspect your fruit, you can't say, get out my business. You can't say, only God can judge me. Guess what, because that ain't biblical. You need to go back and read Matthew. He says, remove the speck in your eye before you can remove the speck, that, that means that the standard of judgment that you're using has to be equal, that you have to have done yourself. It doesn't mean don't judge nobody. It's talking about not judging Christians, but guess what, Christian? You're able to be judged, right? But, but, but and so, so Isaiah at this point, he's, he's trying or probably trying to hide the full import of his words from his listeners because he wants them to agree with him and be angry at the vineyard. Uh, but, and, and, and the reason he's doing that is because he, he's eventually going to make an argument that once they agree with him with, they can't later retract from. And so that, that, that brings me to my, my, fir my first point. God is not responsible for your lack of holiness. Look what it says in verse 3. So now, residents of Jerusalem, men of Judah, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Why, why when I expected a yield of good grapes, did it yield? Worthless grapes. And, and, and so, so here, it seems like the, 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 the tone or the, the person speaking switches because it's clear in verses 1 and 2 that it's Isaiah speaking. But here, now the vineyard owner begins to address the audience personally or himself. And, and so it wasn't uncommon for, to be, for, for there to be a kind of back and forth in the conversation where you would talk to your audience and they would respond. It would almost be kind of like a call and response. And so really, really what's happening here is uh, the vineyard owner begins to ask, like, where does blame lie? Because he knows typically when, when people aren't maturing, they trying to find somebody to blame. Like, we, we want to be able to point to a person or a situation to say, well, listen, if she wouldn't have said that to me, then I wouldn't have responded the way that I did. God, if, if, if you would just make sure I have what I need, then I would be able to walk by faith more. And, and, and so we, we, we want to find somebody to blame when we're not growing spiritually. But guess what, guess what James chapter 1 says? James says, nobody undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God. Because God doesn't tempt anyone and is not tempted by evil. But each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. And those evil desires, when conceived, give birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. And, and, and not only that, but Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, guess what he says? He says, my father is glorified by this, that you 
bear much fruit. And so Jesus is not, he, he, Jesus is not fooled by the idea that we're going to have difficulties in this life. He understands that his disciples are going to go through some things and experience some, some difficulties. And yet he puts this responsibility squarely on their shoulders to know that fruit bearing is their responsibility. And so, so, so the, the vineyard owner interrupts this, this ballad and begins to invite the listeners of Jerusalem to decide who was, was at fault. And, and everybody who's standing around hearing Isaiah talk about this vineyard owner and the vineyard, you know, there, there's, there, there's, there's a sense in which they could empathize with shock and disgust over the bitter fruit. And so the vineyard, vineyard owner's like, man, listen, I need y'all help. Tell me if I'm tripping or not. Maybe it's me. Maybe, I, maybe my expectations are too high, but, but I feel like it's appropriate for me to be mad that I invested all of these resources, all this time, and all of this energy into this vineyard, and it didn't get the desired return. Is it me? And, 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 and his, his listeners are hearing to him, lay out all the things that he's done for this vineyard, and all the time and energy and resources he spent on this vineyard, and they're like, nah, dog, it ain't you. If I was you, I wouldn't have kept messing with that vineyard in the first place. I'd have been left that vineyard alone. Right. And so all, all they're doing is hyping him up to, to let him know, yeah, like, man, we agree with you. I would be frustrated, too, if if what you were saying was true. Like if if you've put the best vines and, and the best soil in the best location to maximize growth and you're not seeing any returns, then, then what are we even talking about? And so when he asked the question, like, what more could I have done? Some probably would have shouted nothing. It was nothing more you can do. And so then the idea is then that if I've done everything that could be done with the best resources possible that you could use, and that's still not good enough to promote growth, then the, vow, then, then the vineyard is worthless. Which brings me to my second point. God is not absent when we experience the, quanti- the consequences of our sin. Listen, here, here, here's what we got to understand. God's not indifferent to our lack of bearing fruit, Right? God takes an active approach when it comes to discipline. How, how do I know that? Well, if you, if you look at the story of Jonah, right? Jonah, God, tell, God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh, preach the gospel, tell them to repent. And what happens? Jonah flees in the opposite direction. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says that God hurled a storm at Jonah, right? That wasn't just like a storm that showed up out of nowhere. Just like, like coincidentally, he happened to ride into a storm. No, the imagery there is that God took a storm in his hand and pitched it like a baseball in Jonah's direction so he had to stop, right? But, but, but that's, that's not the only place we, we find it. What about Uzzah? Right, you think about Uzzah. Uzzah, we, we, we usually have a good view of Uzzah. He was, he was accompanying the ark while it was being transported. And, and what happens? The, the, the oxen are walking and they're going up, you know, up a hill. And, and what happens? The oxen loses its footing, right? And Uzzah, being the man of God that he is, he said, I don't want the ark of God to touch the soil. So let me put my hand out to catch it so I can help God and show my reverence to God by trying to help keep the ark from hitting the ground. You want to know what what Uzzah's problem was? Uzzah's problem was that he assumed his hand was less polluted than the earth. And and, and so God, so, 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 so God, God killed him, right? And, And so, so Isaiah, Isaiah wants them to have, Isaiah wants them to have no doubts about what the owner will do 
And who's beyond the destruction that's about to be experienced by the vineyard? Right? Because look what he says. Look what he says. He says, it, like, I, I, will, I will remove the hedge. It will be consumed. I will tear down the wall. It will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland. It won't be pruned or weeded. Thorns and, and briars will grow up. And I'll also give orders to the clouds to not have it rain. So he will not merely abandon his worthless vineyard. What he's doing is assisting in its destruction. And so he takes down the hedge, tears down the walls, and leaves the vines unprotected from the animals. He, he, he makes it a wasteland, meaning that if the, if the vineyard can only produce wild, rotten grapes, then there's no use in cultivating it. And, and, and so here, here it's clear that you know you're on dangerous ground when God takes his hand off of you. Like when God decides that he's been patient enough and removes the covering of protection, you, you know you're on dangerous ground. It, 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 I'm, this, the imagery is crazy. It says he even talks to the clouds and tells them not to rain. I mean, could you imagine that? Like, could you imagine the conversation between the clouds and the ground? Fam, I'm a little thirsty. Can you help your boy out? And the clouds is like, listen, I would love to help. <laughs> uh, but that's a you and God issue because I, I, I ain't got nothing to do with that. Can you imagine that? that? That God is so perturbed by a piece of his creation that he tells another piece of his creation not to do the thing that he created it to do to benefit the piece of creation that perturbed him. To some, this might seem like a severe overreaction by the, the vineyard owner, but it was totally appropriate since there was no hope of ever getting anything of value to grow in the vineyard. Last point, I'm out your way. Not, not only is God not responsible for our lack of holiness, not only is he not absent when we experience the consequences of our sin, but God is the one who holds the divine mirror. He's the one who holds that divine mirror up to our face. Now, notice it's not until verse 7 that the vineyard owner is revealed. And so it's possible that some or even most of Isaiah's audience don't understand the application of this parable to themselves. And so this entire time, they've been agreeing with the vineyard owner, yeah, like the vineyard is in the wrong. And they don't realize that they are the vineyard. It, 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 it very much has the aroma of 2 Samuel chapter 12, where Nathan goes to Daniel, I mean, not to Daniel, to David, and, 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 and he tells him a little story and says, listen, there's a, there's a rich man, he got a lot of sheep, and, and, it's, and he had a guest in town. Instead of taking one of his sheep, he went and took the poor man's sheep, the, the one and only sheep that he had that he loved. He took it from him and used that as, uh, uh, to cook it up and, and make a meal out of it. And David responded in, in righteous indignation because he knew that in, an injustice had taken place. And so his response was, tell me who that man is because I'm going to kill him. And so not only did David agree and know that an injustice took place, but he also uh, voiced what would be an appropriate judgment upon the man. Little did he know that he was the man. 
And so when he asked to know who that man was, after he had already affirmed the type of judgment that that man should receive, Nathan said, you are the man. And what did David have to do as a recourse other than look at himself and say, I can't go back now on the judgment I gave when I thought it was somebody else just because now it's me. And so that's what we find here. We find that, that they have agreed in principle that a violation has taken place between the vineyard and the vineyard owner, that the vineyard owner has done everything that he could do, was supposed to do, and, and for the plants to thrive and produce the fruit that they could produce that was necessary. And now they get to the point where they're faced with the reality that the entire time, the vineyard is them. And so it says that, that the vineyard owner... Uh, or, or, or when God came to inspect his people, the house of Israel and the men of Judah, the plant he delighted in, he expected justice and saw injustice. He expected to find righteousness, but heard cries of despair. And so we see the investment that God had in these people. He, he redeemed them and freed them from bondage and slavery in Egypt. And then he guided them through the wilderness, gave them his law, May, he said that you will be my people and I will be your God. And then he promised them a land flowing with milk and honey and then brings them into the land. And it was a, it was a turnkey land. Like he told them, like, there's going to be houses already built by the time you get in there. Wells already dug. You don't have to do nothing but walk in and live. And, and so, so God, God has already given this people an investment. And so when he comes back to check on the lives of his people and say, based on the law I gave you, based on what I've told you you're supposed to do and how you're to live in the land, how you're to live amongst one another, how you're to treat the foreign and the neighbor and the widowed and the orphan. He said, instead of seeing the fruitfulness of righteousness, I saw injustice. Isaiah kind of sums this up very neatly. In chapter 29, and it says, it says, this is what the Lord says to the people. It says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship is a farce of me. It's nothing but man-made rules learned from memory. And so when we, when we talk about today and the implications that has for us now as believers, what does God's investment in the life of the believer look like? It looks like if you've got a, a, a church community of godly people, guess what? God's invested into you. If you are a part of a, a, a local community that has godly leadership, then God has been investing into you. If you get to sit under sound biblical teaching, guess what? God's been investing into you. If you have access to his word, God's been investing into you. If you have access to personal relationship with him through his son, guess what? He's been investing into you. When you experience answered prayer, guess what? That's God investing into you. If you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that helps you walk by faith and not by the desires of your sin, guess what? He's been investing into you. I could go on and on and on, but his investment in you has been bountiful. Let me say this and I'll, I'll, I'll get out the way. Back in, in New York City in, in 1939, there was a, a popular integrated club called the Cafe Society. Uh, and uh, there, at, at a certain point in time, a, a hot new performer kind of jumped on stage and, and started performing there three nights a week. And her name was Billie Holiday. And she, one year she began to sing this song that ended up becoming quite controversial 
uh, in the music industry and in society by and large. And, 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 it, and it, here, here are some of the lyrics of that song. Southern trees bear a strange fruit, blood on the leaves and blood at the root. Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. The song was a haunting critique of lynching and race terrorism in the American South. And if you were alive during that time and you drove down to the South and looked up at the trees, instead of seeing apples, you might see the body of a young black man. Instead of seeing oranges, you might have seen the body of a young black woman. What you would often see hanging from those trees wasn't supposed to be there. It was unusual. It was foreign. It was strange. So the question that we have to ask ourselves, believers, is what is growing on your tree that's not supposed to be there? What looks strange about your life because you've been so inundated and influenced, imitating and being influenced by the world? My brothers and sisters, our God knows all too well about strange fruit. Because when the word became flesh and was marched up Calvary's hill, he was nailed to a tree and he himself became strange fruit. Because he didn't belong there, but hung there in your place and in mine. What irony that the vineyard keeper had to become strange fruit so that you and I could bear much fruit. So whatever you do, this day and the days to come, please make sure that you're making good on his investment. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son. That he went to the old rugged cross, the tree of his own creation, and willingly hung there and died. But thanks be to God that that's not where the story ends. Because three days later, he rose from the grave with all power in his hands. Because of the vindication of his resurrection, those who now have, by faith, placed their trust in him and have been saved, you say in your word that we have been given the right to become sons and daughters. And those who have become sons and daughters who have now been given your spirit, we have the opportunity, we have the power of God at work in us to bear the fruit that keeps with repentance. And so Lord, we want to be known as fruit bearers, not the bearers of any type of fruit, but the type of fruit that becomes an ID card that we indeed live by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit. And so, Father, as we continue to strive towards righteousness and holiness and obedience to you, help us, O oh God. Help us, O oh God, to walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called so that we can give your name all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. It's this we pray in the precious name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand with me as we prepare for communion to take up the elements? If you don't have 
a cup with the juice and, and the bread. Could you please raise your hand so we can see who you are? We would love to be able to give that to you so you can participate with us. Is there anyone? Could you raise your hand high if you're in need as our hospitality team is coming around to serve you? It reaches to the highest mountains. And it flows the blood that gives me strength night that Jesus was to be betrayed he took the bread and he broke it and gave it to his disciples and he said this is my body which has been broken for you and as often as you do this do it in remembrance of me let's eat together and afterwards he took the cup and blessed it and said this is my blood which has been poured out for your sins and as often as you do this do it in remembrance of me let's drink together Amen. Would you receive the Lord's benediction? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up your countenance and give you peace from now and forevermore. If you agree with that, say amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Love on somebody you didn't come with this afternoon. We pray we will see you again in the very near future. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.